Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. The Danny Mac Show with BK. Podcast powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Tuesday edition of the Danny Mac Show with BK and Tanner, and we welcome you in on a chilly Tuesday morning here in St. Louis. The Air Comfort Service text line open for you at 65780. Mike Petriello of MLB.com, MLB Network, will be our guest. Um, well, first of all, as I always do, BK... Here you go with four straight hours. How are we doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic, Dan. This is hour one of, I think, 17 for you today, I would imagine. It's all right. So I'm looking forward to hearing you on the broadcast tonight. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Um, disappointing yesterday. We already get a text in from the 309. The woo thing is very annoying, <laughs> Danny Mac. That was woo! my favorite thing on the broadcast. Woo! At the very end, you guys finally <laughs> acknowledging it during Lane Thomas's at bat. And you're like, man, I bet people at home are just loving this. Yes. Can, can we stop St. Louis? Can we just <laughs> St. Louis? You are wonderful. This is my adopted home. I will live here for the rest of my life. We have to stop this. We are better than this. We are. As a baseball-watching community, you are smart fans. You are above this. We have to make it stop. People are going nuts, and I'm getting texts and tweets and stuff. <laughs> you know, the one thing when you're on a broadcast, like, you can feed off the crowd. Like, you, you have a pretty good idea when the crowd boos or cheers or woos. <laughs> and uh, so I, I figured, though, it must be really bad because my phone was just blowing up. I'm getting texts, and I thought, oh, this is great. I said, now I'm just going to get people really riled up. This woo thing, Brad, is something else. Huh? It's really catching on. And he goes, I got to tell you, Dan, when I hear it, it's just so soothing. <laughs> so, you know, I think people are going to have this next to their bed just on repeat oh, now my as they go to sleep. It was yeah. unbelievable. It, it kept going on and on and on. Unfortunately, but that might have been the most entertaining part of the game last night. wasn't entertaining. Um, Mike Schilt, really interesting comments after the game about how he managed. I, I don't fault him for how he managed. I thought a couple of things we talked about on the crossover. I thought the, um, the sacrifice with Gant, I was fine with it because they're not getting innings. I think they had 38 innings out of their starters going into the game last night. The relievers had thrown more innings and starters. So he's trying to get one more inning out of them. I get that. Even for a team that is strapped at times for offense, I was okay with it because the guy that was coming up is hitting the ball pretty well. And then the next two are, are going to be dangerous. So I'm fine with that. So you're trying to protect your bullpen. The one that I did question was right after that was Schwarber up and he didn't go to the lefty. And I mentioned it on the game. I said, you know, I, I think you got to go lefty here. He didn't. And Schwarber got the base hit. And all of a sudden, wheels came off and that was your game really in the middle of that game BK those were a couple decisions that he made um, and interesting to hear what Mike Shield had to say afterwards you know yeah we've had to pitch some guys out of place prior to today today wasn't that day today was me not doing a good enough job for our club to put him in position my job is to put him in position to players win games managers um, avoid it you know losing games and, and I didn't do my part today in that decision I don't know if I agree with him I, I think he's probably taking the brunt of it to protect players which is what great managers do and he is a great one he's really good um and i think that's what he was trying to do last night you take the blame you pass the credit that's right. as a leader 
And last night, I thought that was a really big moment for Mike Schilt, Dan. And I know that there will probably some be some people that say that I'm overstating things here. I don't think I am. I think that was a big thing for him to do for his players because after that game, that's a tough one for this team to take on the chin a little bit last night. Uh, They did end up kind of blowing that one late in the game. I do not think it was on Mike Schilt, though. I think he made, I'm with you, pitching to Schwarber there, maybe you make a different decision. But I think he made the right call. John Gant laid down a good bunt. He executed everything that you wanted him to do at the plate, and then he just didn't execute in the top of the sixth. And so that's on your pitcher, not on you. But the fact that the manager goes out in front of the media afterwards and takes responsibility, takes accountability for that, I think that's a big thing, and it'll definitely play in that clubhouse. Now, if he decides to go to uh, the lefty Cabrera, Henesis Cabrera had been up and throwing, you would think, I, I don't know for sure, but you would think Davey Martinez then counters with a pinch hitter, and he did have Ryan Zimmerman on his bench. Ryan Zimmerman later came up with the bases loaded and popped out against Ryan Helsley. Ryan Zimmerman had six home runs and 28 at-bats this spring, and he's off to a good start. So you're probably going to face him. That would have been my guess that he goes for it in that spot. Um, so I can understand. He's playing, you know, I, I feel better with this matchup as opposed to the other one. Fine. I get it. Sometimes things don't work out, but... To the point that you're making, you deflect the credit, you take the blame, and I think he, he's he got a good pulse of what's going on with the fan base, too. He knows there's some uneasiness with this lineup. Other guy, you know, Some of the guys aren't performing, and he's going to try to take that, that focus of wherever you're mad and put it on him and say, hey, look at me, look at me. So instead of us being talking about, well, this guy was ineffective and that guy ineffective and this guy didn't come through, we're talking about Mike Schilt this morning. That's why he did it. And I respect that. Um, and I can disagree with some of his lineup decisions. I can disagree tactically sometimes. I didn't think he was, did a bad job last night. I thought he was fine. I, I thought I he he ended up having a fine game overall. I actually thought looking at the lineup that they put together going into the game as well, I thought he put together a pretty good lineup yesterday. Now, it didn't perform, but I thought the decisions that he made to go with a bunch of lefties in the lineup made a lot of sense. So. I agree. Um, and looking at who's batting cleanup, that's Yadier Molina. And people right would say, too. wow, 38-year-old catcher with all that mile. Well, right now, yes, he's the guy. Now, is it sustainable? Probably not. You don't know. Maybe it will be. But that's where they're at right now because Paul DeYoung was 0 for 25. Matt Carpenter was 0 for 12. I mean, they had some guys that aren't hitting. And your outfield is not producing. So you got to look at other spots, and that's where you go. And last night, the thing that I thought still got, stood out like a sore thumb, we got a text on this from the 314. Guys, last night it didn't help that Goldschmidt and Arenado couldn't get on base, especially True. before Molina hit that homer. That was our first experience watching this offense without Arenado or Goldschmidt contributing offensively. Yep. It was the first time we've seen it all year long. Arenado had hit in every game previously to this. And last night you saw what happens when those two don't get on. It is a really, really thin offense right now. I think it has the potential to get much better, but right now with what they're getting from the outfield and what they're getting from Paul DeYoung, they basically go four deep in their lineup right now. Mike Schiltz saw John Gant go five innings, four hits, walked two, struck out four, and was at 72 pitches. You know, we're trying not to rely too much on our bullpen. Um, but it wasn't a great matchup for Johnny to go back out, even though his stuff was good. You know, Soto's the big at bat. He'd had, he'd had good at bats against uh, Bell and Schwarber. And the fact of the matter is, you know, didn't get Soto. Bell, 3-2 pitch, didn't go our way. Walked him, and Schwarber put a swing on him as well. So, you know, a lot of different reasons. You know, maybe you think about them hitting Zimmerman at some point in that exchange. Those are the reasons. Can't say they were the right reasons. 
you know, I got to own it. Didn't feel like that was the best decision I made. And uh, got to be accountable for it. Cardinals right now are 21st in average at 216, 22nd in slugging percentage at 360. Really struggling right now, BK, with runners in scoring Ooh. position. So opening day, they went 6 for 12, and you liked what they were doing. And the OPS was pretty good with runners in scoring position after that day. Since then, they've gone 10 for 57. They've left 58 on base. So that's got to change as well. And it's everybody. Paul DeYoung, 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position. Tyler O'Neill, 1 for 6. Goldie, 1 for 5. Arenado, 0 for 5. Carpenter and Nagowski, both 0 for 3. It's everybody throughout this lineup. There's no one player that I can say, hey, they look great with runners in scoring position, or this guy, he just needs to get it. No, it's top to bottom. They've got to figure out whatever their approach is right now. It's not working. Doesn't mean that it won't work moving forward, but so far, first almost two weeks of the season it has not been successful for them matt carpenter was at second base so a lot of lefties in the lineup tommy edmund was in right field again i don't like it that you have to move tommy edmund to right field he plays fine i mean he's gonna be fine he's you know gold glover probably not do i think he could be a gold glover at second i actually do i agree um so i think you lessen yourself defensively but you're trying to get carpenter going and carpenter knows the struggles are real my approach at the plate and how i feel in the box going back to even spring training is it's been as good as it's been in years for me and and going back to spring training the results just haven't been there um but that's the game that we play i mean this game can be pretty challenging at times and you know i'm going through a a challenging period um but i also totally get that you know we're in a results business and um it's about you know, winning games and scoring runs. So, you know, you got to find a way to, to make it happen. So I'm working on that every day. And when my opportunities are arise and I'm in the lineup, I'm doing my best to, to make it happen for us. He dropped down a bunt. I, I loved lo- it. I love seeing that. I, and I, I don't know if you heard the call, but I said, it makes you wonder why this hasn't been done more often. And sure enough, what happened next time? They changed a little bit defensively. They cheated a little bit more. So it opened up more of a hitting lane. If you wanted to go to the left side, do it. I mean, if they're going to give it to you, do it. I liked, so I think it was Katie Wu who asked Matt Carpenter in the post-game press conference, hey, you know, what went into your decision there? And he did explain it really well. He said, you know, when they went to a 3-1 count, suddenly it opens up even more on the left side, and that's where I'm not a burner. I can then lay it down the third baseline, and that's when I can make it work. It was a beautiful bunt. It was his first bunt for a base hit since June of 2019. It was nice to see. Hopefully, like you said, Dan, if you get into those counts more often, because we know Matt Carpenter has a great eye, consistently do that. If they're going to give it to you, that's fine, Matt Carpenter. You can take that. I will take you getting on first every single time. I thought overall he had a pretty good game, honestly. Oh, and yeah. It's fine. So, like, you put the lineup out there today. It's another righty on the mound, I believe, for the Steven Nationals. Steven Strasburg. Go ahead and put Matt Carpenter back in the lineup. He should not be batting top half, but kind of like yesterday, bottom half of the order, he deserves to start again. Yeah, and I loved how that inning actually transpired. It looked like actual baseball yeah. <laughs> where a guy generated a, a base hit by bunting against a shift and then was advanced on a sacrifice and then came around to score. It was like... Okay, this is baseball. We weren't just Cardinals baseball. Yeah, we're not just sitting around waiting for bombs. It was like generating offense. Whitey Herzog, by the way, was in the house last night. I was like, okay, all right, here we go. Question for you, Dan. Yeah, because I I agree with you. I do not want to see Tommy Edmond in the outfield consistently right now to get him in the lineup. That's what they're having to do. I know they've kind of toyed at this idea before. 
could you play Matt Carpenter in left field? Because I almost feel like if you're going to be worse defensively, I would rather have that downgrade defensively in left than I would at second base. Okay. Do you remember we were having a conversation and I said, there are seasons that dictate what you do. And everybody said, oh, you can't put Carpenter in the outfield. I said, really? Why not? Yeah. Now, they have been pretty steadfast with the idea of not doing that. Even Mike Schilt said he kind of poo-pooed the idea of right away early in spring training. But in the time that I've seen, and I've seen a lot of baseball, sometimes you are forced to do things that you're uncomfortable with. And they may be uncomfortable with that, and I'm all for it. Absolutely, I would do it. it, it the, the reason why I bring it up, and I was frustrated in spring training when they did it because they did it over John Nagowski. Well, at this point, I just have to give up on my dream. Like, they're not playing John Nagowski as a starter. I, by the way, I would, to, to your point, I want to give him a run. If, if you have no offense going on and let him be no offense for a while and prove that, okay, he's no offense. Fine, we've run through it. We've, we've seen Williams. We've seen Thomas. We're seeing O'Neal. We're seeing Carlson. Why not give this guy a run somehow, some way? And it might I, be, be a disaster defensively. It's it fine. might be. It let's find be. out. You yeah. know, let, let's see. Because, like, the worst thing that can happen is he misplays the ball in the outfield. And, hey, I've seen that the last few days. So, like, what's the real difference there? But maybe he gives you a chance that is a, a little bit more productive at the plate. But if I have to set that aside as a viewer, and now I'm look going from the Mike Schilt hat, right? If Matt Carpenter is going to be out there, you are better with him, in my opinion, as your left fielder, having better defenders in center and right and a borderline gold glove defender at second than you are with Matt Carpenter at second and Tommy Edmond in the outfield, in I my would, opinion. I would also let Dean have a little run here. Sure. After the weekend, uh, he can hit. I, I've seen him with Miami. I've seen him now with St. Louis. He can hit. Now, his play in left field the other day, ball's got to be caught, ran into and out in a key spot on Sunday afternoon. So cost you a couple runs, but also drove in a couple but give him a run. See what happens. I mean, that's where you're at at this point of trying to find some type of production from your outfield. I'd and be okay with that. Dylan Carlson also, Dan, opens up so many opportunities for you because that kid is, is really good in center field. Like, way better than I thought he was going to be. He looks natural out there. In fact, when Harrison Bader gets back, if other guys step up in that time, I'm totally fine with Dylan Carlson playing in center against righties and Harrison Bader being in center against lefties. Yeah, no issues with that moving forward. And I think maybe that would be the direction that they uh, would go. Mike Petriello of MLB.com and MLB Network will be our guest. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Danny Mac, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's the Danny Mac show with BK here on 101 ESPN. One of my favorites in the business is Mike Petriello. He covers the MLB for MLB.com, and you will see him from time to time as well over on MLB Network. Mike, we always appreciate the time, my man. How you doing today? I'm doing great, BK. I, I want to point out, so I've been going on shows with you for a couple of years, I think, and every time usually, you know, you call me or you text me or whatever. And yesterday I get a, a text from your producer, Tanner, and I say, you've hit the big time now. You've got people for you. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have somebody that helps me get the guests on now, which is really, really, really wonderful, Mike. I got to tell you, when you come up in the world to the point where, like, other people help you with your show, it's pretty great. I got to tell you, too, Mike, I, the, the attitude, you know, the, the big swollen, you know. <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs> it he, he's just blown up here in St. Louis, so maybe you can knock him down a notch or two, you know. I'm just saying. 
You know, the attitude yeah, really, is really, he needs an adjustment. About town. <laughs> he is. Needs an adjustment. No, he's great. I'm just joking. Hey, Mike, let's talk a little bit of Cardinals baseball, if you don't mind. Um, I I think one of the biggest lightning rod players in St. Louis right now is and probably always has been Matt Carpenter. Um, I looked at the numbers a couple of days ago and I was like, wow, you know, actually the Cardinals are being honest this time around. He really is hitting the ball really hard. And then he has his first hit of the season last night, of course, like a 45 mile an hour exit velocity, but down the third baseline. What have you seen in terms of like, if you look at the numbers from Matt Carpenter, how sustainable is that? And when you look early in the year, Mike, at some of those exit velocity numbers, how, how much do you read into that stuff? Well, I really like this time of year for looking at this kind of stuff, you know, pitch velocity, spin rate, exit velocity, all of it, because that that is something you can get a real sense of a player on very quickly. You know, you need a couple hundred plate appearances to know if a guy's a 300 hitter or not. I need about three pitches to know if you can throw the ball 98 or not. Right. So it's kind of the same thing with hitting the ball hard. And for example, Paul Goldschmidt, you know, is off to a lousy start. If you were to look at his numbers, right. He's got like a 560 OPS, but if you look at his hard hit rate, it's like top 2% in baseball, you know, and then you look at his track record. I've got no concerns about Paul Goldschmidt. It's a little different for Matt Carpenter. Cause I agree with you. The early returns on, is he hitting the ball hard are very good, right? He's got a 56% hard hit rate. The major league average is like 36%. But there does come a point where you realize that hard hit rate doesn't necessarily put runs on the board unless it's actually turning into hits. And if he was coming off a couple of good seasons or hadn't had such a wretched spring training, I might be a little more willing to look past it and say, oh, yeah, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. I'm I'm still pretty concerned about all of this. Now, the one thing I'll say in his favor is I don't think that there's any move to be made here. I'm sure there are fans who have seen him struggle for the last couple of years and see he's got a .71 batting average this year and say he's done, it's time to move on. I don't think that's a good idea. And that's partially just because this isn't a great offense in the first place. There's not an obvious guy to replace him, but it is partially because he is still hitting the ball hard. You know, if he was struggling and the hard hit numbers were terrible, then I'd say, you know what, maybe maybe there's time to do something here. But all you can do right now is say, listen, there are some positive signs of life there's room for him to play. Get him in the lineup. See what happens. What is your What is your take on on Yadier Molina at the age of 38, batting cleanup, hitting a bomb last night, and providing what a cleanup hitter does? I mean, he's been incredible so far this year. He's been unbelievable. He's got a, an OPS of almost a thousand. I mean, I I don't love the idea that this is a lineup where your 38 year old catcher is hitting cleanup. Agreed. You know? Yeah, like, you're probably in better shape if he's hitting six or seven or whatever, uh, but he, he's amazing. I, I certainly don't need to tell you guys like Piotti Molina's story. The, the fact that he's off to such a hot hitting start at his age, is, it's fantastic. And, you know, you look up and down the lineup, is he their third best hitter, right? Like, I'll still take Goldschmidt. Arenado's obviously been very good. Is Yadi their third best hitter? That's great for him. I don't think it's great for the team, but, like, what an incredible story at this age. Mike, one of the guys that I've really been looking at the last few days is Paul DeYoung because he's off to a really slow start, and he had such a great start to his career here in St. Louis, but it seemed like at some point kind of in the middle of 2019, something changed for him, and I don't know what it was, but what what do you make of Paul DeYoung as a player thus far in his career? He's a really good defender still, but at the plate, is is there just something that you're always going to be left wanting more from him? You know what worries me a little bit is is he has been a good defender, and I know we're super small sample size here. To, to start this year, he hasn't been fielding that well either. Like, you know, take early defensive metrics with a huge grain of salt, but I looked this up like two days ago, and by the StatCast numbers, he was the weakest 
fielder in baseball. And, you know, there's been a couple areas. Yeah, I've got it right now. Minus five outs above average. Now, again, it's been two weeks. Defensive metrics take a little bit more time to be uh, reliable, but it's not hard to find some plays where he's he's made a mistake. And I remember, I think it was maybe April in 2019, he was just crushing the ball, right? Just looked like the best hitting shortstop in baseball. And then for the next five months, didn't do that much. And then last year, didn't do that much. And he's off to kind of a rotten start this year. And when you think about it, we're now almost two years since the last time he was like an above average hitter, you know? And if you got def- great defensive value from him, that's fine. But um, so far that hasn't happened. And I, I don't have a great answer for this. I really thought like when he's, you know, came up in that first and second year, this guy had done a lot of work to turn himself into a star and I'm, I'm seeing the same thing you are. And unfortunately I don't have a great answer. You know, it's been like, as I said, almost two years now, and I'm starting to wonder when can he turn it around or can he? You know, one of the guys that is hitting the ball hard, and I think he's made a great adjustment on chase rate uh, in recognition of a, a change-up, too, because yesterday he was just getting change-up after change-up is, is Tommy Edmond. Um, I'm really pleased to see the progress he's made. He's a smart kid, obviously, but uh, obviously a very good player, too. What, what do you see? I like Tommy Edmond a lot, and I, I can tell you that um, I don't know which ball it was exactly, but he, he hit a ball earlier this year uh, at 113 miles an hour. And that was the hardest hit ball of his career. Yeah, that was Sunday, really good time. Sunday against Milwaukee, right to Travis Shaw at third base. Yep, that was the hardest yeah, hit. Yep. Exactly. And so I know people will say, well, it wasn't a home run. It wasn't a, a base hit. Um, but there's real value in showing that you can hit the ball harder than you ever have before. It's like one of the most important data points early on in the season that if you set a new maximum exit velocity mark, uh, it tends to bump up your projection for the rest of the year. And the thing about that, that's, that's being paired with it that I like a lot is it's cut his strikeout rate in half from last year. You know, now you want to look at last year and say it's a weird year. Maybe his strikeout rate was a little uh, inflated over the year before that. That's fine. But um, even so you're making more contact, you're hitting the ball harder. I mean, that's a really good sign. And, you know, obviously he's had to move positions too with Arenado. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm pretty optimistic about Tommy Edmund. Mike Petriello is our guest. He covers the MLB for MLB.com. And Mike, I did want to ask you about the Cardinals rotation, because if there is a, a big concern, we talked about the offense, but it's it's really the rotation right now that's been the biggest issue for this club. I get so bogged down sometimes in what we are watching here locally with the Cardinals that I nationally of what's taking place elsewhere. Are the Cardinals rotation woes? Is this something that you're seeing across the league or is this specific to St. Louis? I, you know, I wish I'd uh, I thought ahead and had the Dennis Green that they are who they thought we <laughs> they were going to be fine. Because I mean, look at the two big problems on the Cardinals, right? You have a, you have their offense. They are 19th this year, and they were 19th last year and 16th the year before. This is who they are. And then you look at the rotation, and that was the other main concern for me heading into the season. And if you'd asked me why, it wasn't because of Jack Flaherty. I know it wasn't great last year. I have no concerns about Jack Flaherty. He's going to be fantastic. I had a lot of concerns about the depth behind it. I, I realized when I was thinking about talking to you today that maybe you'd ask me about Carlos Martinez and I was trying to figure out what I thought about him. And I realized I haven't actually thought about him in like three years, you know, cause it's like, he just hasn't been this relevant kind of top end starter now in four or five years. And then behind him, you know, Adam Wainwright aside, they're using swing men mostly, right? Like, you know, Gant has been kind of both and his velocity is down and his move to the rotation. Uh, and Ponce de Leon is, he's not off to a good start, obviously, but he's been kind of a swing man. And I, I look at that and I say, well, they're going to have to put a little more weight on the bullpen. And that's 
okay, I guess, in some sense, because Gallegos looks good. Reyes looks really good. Um, Andrew Miller's velocity is down again, and he's not throwing his fastball for strikes, and that's that's deeply concerning to me. So if you're asking me, am I worried about them? Yes, but no more or less than I was three weeks ago because I already thought that was going to be an issue. Jack Flaherty, you mentioned him. He'll go tonight. What have you seen out of Jack uh, so far this year and then just a general assessment of where he's at in his career? Well, I actually have not had a chance to see him pitch yet this year. But I, I do know that in 20, well, I guess 19, right, came down the stretch and that second half was, you know, all these articles are being written about how literally historic it was and how great he was. And then, it, you know, didn't work out last year. I think the Cardinals, above all other teams, are willing to write off 2020 because of how interrupted their season was along with the Marlins. So I'm not worried about that. But what I do like about him is when I looked into him last year, um, there was no meaningful difference in the way his pitches, you know, moved or velocity or, or spin or anything like that. You know, he still looked like the guy who had been so dominant the year before. So I'm not too worried about him. I think give him a full, normal, regular season. He's still going to be one of the better starting pitchers in baseball. Mike, I do, I, one thing that I love about your work is that you are able to find topics in baseball that I had not thought about, and then you make them really interesting and compelling for me to read about. What are some of the trends right now that you're seeing across baseball that pique your interest? Well, I think the biggest trend is um, that strikeouts are up for like the, I don't know, 18th year in a row or whatever it's going to be. And um, it, it's funny to me that people never seem to land on the right reason for that. I think everybody's okay. It's um, because of the shift or because launch angle or, or any of these buzzwords you want to come up with. And it's not, it's pitchers. Pitchers are insane. Fastball velocity is up again. Um, fastball usage is down again because you've got guys who are throwing 98 miles an hour but now they're pairing it with sliders and curveballs that move in insane ways. You know, no one's establishing the fastball. They're using their breaking pitches to get ahead and maybe their fastballs to get that strike three. It's it's really interesting to me to see how pitchers have gone off and improved themselves. And there are guys who I think most baseball fans don't know, like let's to pick one, Julian Merriweather out of Toronto, uh, had pitched like 13 pro innings over the last three years because he'd been hurt. And on opening day, he comes out in Yankee Stadium, and all of a sudden, oh, there's there's 99 with a picture-perfect changeup on the corner, and he strikes out really good Yankee hitters. There are tons of guys like that. I don't know how hitters hit anything because the, the quality of pitching is so much better than it's ever been in Major League Baseball. Do you think we need to do something with that, Mike, as we go forward because it's dominating so much? I mean, you, you look at the box scores any day, and you're going to see 18 to 22, sometimes 25 strikeouts combined in a game. And that's not good for the game. We all talk about it. We want to see more action in the game. Do you think we need to do something significant like we saw in 68? Maybe move the mound back, do whatever we need to do. Yeah, I'm big. I'm very much in favor of that. The the ideas I would have, um, number one, would be a pitch clock. And that that helps with pace, obviously. But I also think there's some evidence that the longer pitchers take between pitches, the more velocity they can get back, you know, give them a chance to breathe. So I'm in favor of that. I'm in favor of, I don't know about moving the mound back. I think that's kind of hard for people to swallow, but if you, maybe you lowered the mound as you did after 68, that's much more of a a seamless change. Um, And I'm also in favor of maybe changing the size of the strike zone. That's happened many times over the years. You know, I I think there are changes that can be made that wouldn't necessarily, you know, throw off the traditional fan in the way that some of the more extreme changes have been made. But I also do think you, you can't win, right? Like changes have to be made, but then there's also a huge chorus of fans who are like, 
the game is perfect. It's never changed. Don't change it, which is objectively not true. Um, and if we don't do anything, pitchers will get up to a 50% strikeout rate in 10 years. Yeah, there's no question. We, we've seen a lot with replay, good and bad. Uh, a lot of bad, though, here in the last few days of the Major League Baseball season, and it's early. Um, what do you think we need to do with replay and you know, players are upset, obviously, with the Sunday night game, and, and it cost the Atlanta Braves. We, we've seen a play that was uh, controversial here with Justin Williams being on the third baseline, and, and replay showed he probably was in foul territory. There's a lot of different things that we've seen with it. Where, where are you right now with replay on what the players feel needs to be done and what we need to do moving forward? You're totally right. And also, you know, the Conforto hit-by-pitch yes. in New York the other day. Ridiculous. So here's where I am with replay. It's it's not going away, nor should it, you know, because I think people forget about how many of the egregious plays we had before replay where you're like, this is clearly wrong. The guy's three feet off the base. Why can't we change that? You know, so to me, it's not get rid of it. It's it's try to improve it. The, the thing I've heard, I'm not sure this would actually work, but I've heard people say that it shouldn't be um, in, in reference to what the play was called on the field, right? Like you should have the replay room just making their call and not trying to overturn it or not overturn it. I think that makes a lot of sense um, in theory, but I was trying to think through the logistics of that. And I don't know if you could do it because if you were looking at the replays of the call on the field, you're probably going to see the umpire making the call. You know, <laughs> like I don't know how you block the umpire out of that. Um, so I, I'm not so sure about that. But what I would do is, you know, I, I would try to make it a little more transparent because I think what happens a lot is, you know, you, you don't necessarily know on TV or especially if you're in the, in the stands what is being uh, reviewed and what the call is. Like I would really love or an umpire or, or PA announcer or somebody to explain, this is what we're reviewing. This is what happened. And not just like the safe alcohol. I think that would help alleviate a lot of the confusion. I totally agree. Last thing that I've got for you, Mike, before we let you out of here, what have you made of the NL central thus far? The Reds got off to an unbelievable start, especially offensively against the Cardinals. Brewers looked really good in that series against the Cardinals. The Cubs can't score and the Pirates stink as we know. But what have you made of the early season so far of this division? I'm feeling pretty good at the NL Central. And that's because when I did my predictions at the start of the year, uh, I had Milwaukee 1, Reds 2, Cardinals 3, Cubs 4, and Pirates 5. I almost got it perfect. Um, obviously, the you know, Reds and Milwaukee are flipped there. And I don't think anyone predicted that the Reds were going to hit like they were because they're certainly not going to keep this up over the course of the year. But I was pretty optimistic on, you know, the guys they had last year all performed, other than Jesse Winker, under their career norms. You know, like Castellanos could not have been that bad for another year. Senzel could not have been that bad for another year. And they've started to bounce back. So I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about them, and I like their pitching a lot. I picked the Brewers to win the division because I think their starting pitching uh, and release pitching as well is so underrated and so dominant. Like, not enough people are talking about Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, who – I don't know if I'm ready to say they are the best one-two in baseball, but they got to be in that conversation for me because those guys are absolutely fantastic. And then there's just arms beyond arms that people don't even know. Yes, Josh Hader, Devin Williams, certainly. Um, but Freddie Peralta is really good. You know, like They've got a couple other guys like that. Will they hit? I don't know. Um, but that's those are the, the class of the division to me. And then I have the Cardinals third because, you know, the concerns we talked about. I thought the offense would be okay. I thought the rotation would be okay, and, you know, they're a 500 team to this point. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for your time. Love your work, and uh, we'll catch up very, very soon. Really appreciate it. Thanks, gentlemen. Take care. You got it. That's Mike Petriello of MLB.com. A lot of good stuff there. A lot of good stuff. I totally agree, well, with a lot of the, what he had to say. Um, 
they may have the best one-two punch. After I watch Corbin Burns, that's the best we've seen so far this year. Not even close. Uh, we'll see Strasburg tonight. Looking forward to that. If you have a ticket, go down to the ballpark. It'll be uh, on Valley Sports beginning at 6. Um, I think I said to you, and, and you agreed, and we, we talked a lot about this, and we've had Reds personnel on. It couldn't be that bad hitting. It just couldn't be. Yeah. I mean, it just it had to come back, right? So some of those guys have come back. And it hasn't a big way so far this year. I don't know if you know the answer to this, BK, but he hit on something that I think is very important with replay, which is to, like in football, like in hockey, Referee grabs a microphone and explains it to the folks in the yep. stadium and, and on TV. And my understanding was maybe it was pre-pandemic. They were going to do that. And then because of social distancing and things of that nature and trying to keep his limited amount of people uh, down on the field and away from players and, that, and personnel and whatnot, that it went away. And it really hasn't been talked about. But I think if you can explain it to the fans, because there are plays sometimes where a manager goes out and says, okay, I'm... I'm going to go ahead and challenge this. And then the other manager will say, well, if you overturn it, I challenge this at the plate. And you're left to just guess that stuff. And I don't think that's good for the, the viewing public. I really don't. You know what I, who I thought did a really great job with this was the XFL. The XFL yeah. had a situation where on the broadcast, if you were watching at home, you could see the replay review person. They were basically using an Xbox controller and they were going back through and they would explain to the viewer while they were doing it in real time what they were looking for and they would say okay here it is balls at the 25 we've got to reset the clock it's going to go to 219 now it's going to be blue ball going this way with 219 on the clock first and 10 for them and they would explain every step of the way here's where we were here's what i'm looking for and here's what the new call will be in real time that is what needs to happen in baseball if it can happen in the xfl which is a much lesser funded league than the than major league baseball Baseball can do this if they wanted to. I don't think it's about the funds necessarily. Um, I think it's about the uncomfortable nature of an umpire that's been around for 30 years having to go speak in front of 45,000 people. And my response to that would be get over it. Tough. Yeah. You, I mean, you're, you're making you make a pretty good penny as a major league baseball umpire. It is a public profession, yeah. and this you, you've got to explain some things Absolutely. to your audience. That's the way I would look at it. Um, it's it's frustrating for me do, doing the games and and I'm left to guess. I, I don't like to guess now, especially some of it, when you're not there, Dan. Because now yeah, you're getting sure. the same treatment that the fan at home would otherwise, right? Where That's it's like right. normally you would relay the information when you're at the ballpark to the fan the best way possible that you can. You do an excellent job of that, especially last night. There was a question down the first baseline. You knew the rule immediately. You were able to explain to the viewer what was taking place and why it was called the way that it was. But when things Which I are, thought was the wrong call, by the way. But go ahead. <laughs> but when, uh, when things are a little bit more murky and you're not sure exactly what is being challenged or what's being reviewed, well, that's when things get really difficult for you and for the audience. Now. Especially in baseball, a lot of quirky rules. Now, some of that stuff is really easy. Like, okay, we're looking at safe out. Everybody knows that. Sure. Got it. But when you get into those ones that are going to be double challenged or, hey, we're looking at this and did this uh, string of the glove, which has to be X amount of inches, touch the, the bag, you know, or get the, the base runner. We need to know those things. Like in college basketball, I do a lot of college basketball. And the head official will come over during the review and say, okay, we looked at it. Here's what we were looking at. This is why it's the, so you can explain it to your audience. And initially when replay came in, well, maybe not initially, maybe a year or two, they would go to New York PK and then somebody in New York would relay it to the truck, our, our men and women of our truck and say, 
hey, tell your audience this is what they're looking at. But even then, it got there was a real gray area with some of that stuff, and it wasn't great in terms of trying to explain it. So just yeah. grab a microphone and explain it. You got to do a better job with it. Um, the one other thing that Mike brought up that I wanted to relay for the audience, um, he, he mentioned how Andrew Miller, his velocity is down this year. I think he's like four or five miles an hour down. It's not just down. It's down in a big way. And it's a problem if it doesn't oh, yeah. get corrected. Now, if it gets corrected, this might be a blip. Maybe by May or June, he's fine. Everything's all hunky-dory. It does not appear to be a blip to me, though. It's it's at like 87 miles per hour right now. And a few years ago, two years ago, he was sitting at like 91, 92. Right. This is a huge drop for him. And if it sustains, this is something that is absolutely worth monitoring. And right now, He's probably at best your third best lefty coming out of the pen with this current velocity that you've got. And here's why it's really a problem. I mean, obviously, it's a problem when you have down velocity. But when you have three batter minimum and he's a guy that could get you splits and get you righties and lefties, he felt comfortable with it. And if you didn't have a three batter minimum, you'd carry a guy like Andrew Miller that still can break off a slider as well as anybody and say, go get me Joey Votto. Go get him. And then we're going to get you out. And that would be his role. But with three batter minimum... You can be exposed. So, yeah, it's something to keep him a real close eye on for sure. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. I'll give you a positive from uh, last night. You ready? How about Ryan Helsley? Inning in two-thirds, two hits, three strikeouts, but... But Ryan Helsley came in with the bases loaded, nobody out, and kept the Cardinals in the game. Okay, that's a positive. That was good. Ryan Helsley, according to Tanner Hendrickson, is nearing his way into the Cardinals relievers' circle of trust. I may have TKO'd him last night, though. Uh oh. Tanner said right after he got out of that jam, I think Ryan Helsley might be working his way in. And then in the next inning, <laughs> didn't quite go as well for Tanner. Ryan Helsley. Yeah. Hey, zero earned runs, though, still. Someone, someone bailed him out. Tyler Webb bailed him out. That's who bailed him out. You, you know, you can't, you can't jump the gun on these things because you're going to give him the announcer's curse. That's right. To be quite fair, I didn't. I wasn't 100% expecting him to go back out there for another inning. So I was just like, oh, yeah, he worked his way in the circle of trust. Get out of base, load nobody out. So I guess we have a... Um, there's no more of the announcer's curse. If you follow, follow Tanner on social media, if he gives you a vote of confidence, That's you better right. duck. Yeah. It's, 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 it's jumped from me to Tanner. I used to be that guy where if I said something bad about you, you were about to do something really great. By the way, yesterday I praised Matt Carpenter. Guess what happened last night? Hey, got a hit and run scored. Just oh, saying. Come. BK jumped on that bandwagon after after he criticized me for jumping on it on Friday. This is how it works. I can be wrong and then jump on board. I I said to BK, I said, oh, his exit velocity is up there. He's going to have a great weekend. He goes, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, whatever. And then he looks at barrel percentage. He looks at barrel percentage, and he's like, oh, yeah, Carpenter. Yeah, he's going to break out Hey, Tanner, what happened over the weekend? He had two plate appearances. Austin Dean ran into What happened yesterday? Otherwise, it was a big moment. What happened yesterday? My favorite play, the bunt. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. You know things are are struggling offensively when your favorite (laughs) play is a bunt. Um, okay. By the, way, the three best plays of the night were all bunts, really. John Gann had a couple of nice <laughs> sacrifices. Um, who's in your circle of trust, guys? So you're intriguing me here. So as of now, the guys that are that were already inducted into the circle of trust okay. this is a big deal, Dan. Let me see if I have it right. Okay, go for I, it. I would go easily. Alex Reyes. Yes. Jordan Hicks. Yes. Giovanni Gallegos. Yes. 
On the outside looking in, prior to his second inning of work, it went maybe Ryan Helsley. Helsley was, was not inducted he yet. Was, I he's didn't got, think so. He's he was, got a potential. We're we're talking about his case today. He was knocking on the door. That's right. Okay. Uh, Johan Oviedo. So he was not a part of the conversation. Okay. And it, he only had one appearance, yeah, but it looked really good. Yeah, he's tough because he's almost a starter. Yeah, well, it's trending. Yeah. The, the trending meter is going that way. The other guy that we've talked about is Tyler Webb. I'll tell you what, man. He's got seven appearances already. That's insane. He's not going to be able to comb his hair. <laughs> Has anybody checked in on Tyler Webb? Is he doing all right? Like He's pitching well, all things considered. Yes. He's came in last night, in got a strikeout. Every game for this team so far. And if he's not appearing, I think out of habit, he just gets up and starts to throw. You know, it's like sixth inning. I better start to get on a mound. Wow, they've used him a lot. Yeah. They used him a ton. Uh, okay, so we have Blues hockey tomorrow. Blues game was canceled last night with the unrest going on in, in Minnesota. So I'm assuming you guys get into that, the trade deadline a little bit, winners, losers, that kind of thing. What's yeah, coming up? we're talking about the Blues and what they decided not to do at the trade deadline. We'll get into that coming up at 1130 in the 12 o'clock hour, how this team can get the most out of Mike Hoffman, because now it's settled. He's going to be with the with the Blues the rest of the season what does that mean for him? How do they get the most out of him? We'll talk about that. And Jim Hickey going to be joining the show coming oh, up at 11.15. The Nationals pitching coach. Done a pretty good job with that staff. I want to ask him for his best uh, Max Scherzer story. We'll get into that coming up at 11.15 with Jim Hickey. You've been listening to the Danny Max Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors, we're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.